This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. I've recently come across the term armchair activism and have been thinking about it a lot. It's the idea that with the mass access to social media, people post a status and feel like that's enough to make a change or consider themselves an ally. Now, there's no harm in using social media to show support for movements, but words must be backed up with actions. There's power in solidarity, and when you show someone you support them via your action, you don't necessarily need a social media post to back it up. In this week's story, teller Darwin Jones shows us a moment in his youth when he went from feeling alone to feeling supported. Recorded live at Flower Firm in Chicago in November 2019, Second Story is proud to present Champ. On my last day of seventh grade, mom announced that she had married Bob and we were moving to his house in Potosi, Missouri, population 2000. I couldn't mope about it. Mom's mantra was, you might as well get glad in the same pants you got mad in. So I looked for a silver lining. In this case, it was that I would start the eighth grade as a new kid. In small town schools, being the new kid caused others to clamor with curiosity. I had dreams of taking full advantage, establishing myself as someone worthy of attention. It isn't that I didn't have friends at my old school, everybody liked me all right, but I planned to parlay my new kid status and make everybody love me. But how? There wasn't a tween version of how to win friends and influence people. I could only draw from experience. And who was it that attracted positive attention in school? Athletes. The most athletic thing about me, though, was my Dorothy Hamill haircut at the time. (laughs) I was a bookworm. I read biographies of yesteryear's Hollywood stars. Sports was not on my radar. But I had a whole summer before school started, plenty of time to become an athlete. After the move, I signed up for basketball camp. The ad said there'd be dedicated instruction, which I thought meant every kid would have their own trainer, some tall, lanky guy who could teach me everything there was to know about the game. Even though it wasn't outwardly apparent that I could succeed, my guy would see my potential and transform me. He would be the Professor Higgins to my slam dunkin' Eliza Doolittle. (laughs) My Professor Higgins? turned out to be Coach McCurdy, the high school history teacher. And basketball camp wasn't about learning, it was about playing. It was obvious the moment Coach McCurdy called jump jump ball. The other boys gathered around so quickly like actors hitting their marks. Coach tossed the ball up and the other players struck a pose. Some reached wide, blocking their opponents. Others crouched with splayed fingers, ready to snare the ball. Two stood in the center and leapt, elongating their bodies and stretching their fingertips skyward. They moved fluidly. Each twist, each turn was so informed. The command they had over their bodies reminded me of the 1972 concert film, Liza with a Z. I couldn't do what they did. I could dribble, kind of, but every time I tried, somebody stole the ball from me. And if I somehow managed to keep the ball, Coach McCurdy would blow that horrible whistle and call walking, although I was most assuredly running. 
all hope drain from me. I got through the day, but I never returned. So I walked into my first day of school, not as the mysterious and intriguing new kid, but as the dork who had showed up for basketball camp but couldn't even play. I felt like I'd messed up any chance of people loving me. I was mad at myself for the blunder, but I had to persevere. You might as well get glad in the same pants you got mad in. But I was thrown another curveball. I'd had algebra in the fifth grade at my old school, but it wasn't offered in Potosi until the eighth grade. I had to retake it. An easy class, great, but soon enough, Mr. Davis noticed that I was acing all of my quizzes. From that point forward, Mr. Davis had me sit at his desk with a red pen, and as he taught from the chalkboard, I would grade the homework, the test, and the quizzes of all of my classmates. <laughs> Teachers' pets were not likable, and those who circled your wrong answers and handed them back to you, downright detestable. I gave up wanting people to love me. I just hoped I could still be liked well enough. Then came Mrs. Brandstetter's English class. She didn't have me grade papers, thank goodness, but I was still afraid that I'd rub people the wrong way. It was because of the spelling bees held every Friday. I won all of them. <laughs> Before we even got to the hard words, Mrs. Brandstetter would ding the bell signifying misspelled words one after the other. Kids dropped like flies. Week after week, I was the last one standing. Nobody likes smarty pants. I suppose I could have purposely messed some up, but that didn't seem right. Instead, I tried to employ the tools that had served me well at my old school. Wit, sarcasm, and movie trivia. <laughs> I coasted for a bit, until later in the semester, Mrs. Brandstetter announced a school-wide spelling bee. Each class had to vote on one person to represent them. Mrs. Brandstetter said, so if you're interested, raise your hand. I didn't move. I mean, it would be like me proclaiming I'm better than you. But Kim Fitzwater, this high ponytailed classmate who'd grown up in Potosi, yelled out, Darwin should go. He wins all the time anyway. I didn't even think Kim knew me. She seemed immune to wit, confused by sarcasm, and uninterested in movie trivia. <laughs> Mrs. Brandstetter asked, Okay, do we all agree? Let's see a show of hands. And all hands raised. It was decided. I was the class representative in the school-wide spelling bee. I smiled like it was a good thing, but inside, fear exploded. Before, I was scared that kids would dislike me for spelling too many words correctly. Now, I was afraid they'd hate me if I got a single word wrong. I frantically went into prep mode. I practiced the word list from our spelling textbook. I used flashcards on the school bus. I recruited my mom to call out randomly selected words from the dictionary. The big day came. The entire student population of the middle school filled the gymnasium. My classmates were all seated together, high in the bleachers, right in my line of sight from the podium. Each time I went up, I felt the collective pressure. Just get it right, Jones, get it right. And with relief, I did. But the bell rang plenty for others, though. Congratulations with a D, ding. Got nervous and spelled constitution as constipation, ding. 
Eventually, it came down to me and Lisa Mulligan. She had just arrived from Kansas City, so she was the new, new kid. When she didn't put enough M's in commemoration, ding, it was my chance to win. My word was menagerie. You mean as in Tennessee Williams play the glass menagerie? <laughs> With confidence, I stood at the podium and I recited each individual letter. But as the last letter fell from my lips, what if I had let the confidence get the best of me? I waited to hear the bell, but instead a scream filled the gymnasium. High in the bleachers, Kim Fitzwater screeched with joy as she jumped in place. I had won. Kim took off from her seat. You know how crazy those people look when they're invited to come on down on the prizes, right? That's how she looked. She traversed the bleachers, rushing toward the gym floor, clapping and screaming with delight. I was dumbfounded as the crowd picked up on her energy and applause grew. Kim rushed toward me with her arms stretched wide. He won! Darwin won! She latched onto my neck and swung around me like a tetherball. She jumped up and down, took hold of my arm and raised it high in the air. She pointed to the section of the bleachers where our classmates sat and everyone yelled in response. They had voted for me to be there. I was representing them. We had won. I didn't need to be a basketball champ. I was the Michael Jordan of sounding it out. The Rocky Balboa of using that in a sentence. The Muhammad Ali of I before E. I was a spelling bee champ. This story was produced by Ali Drum, curated by Amanda Delheimer, directed by Lexi Saunders, with music and sound design by DJ Dapper and Jeff Schaller. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, Skadden, Arp, Slate, Meager, and Flome, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, the Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, CoBank, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.